the meaning of the name Mary. Arguably, Mary is probably the most popular name in all of human history for a female. I don't know what the current statistics are, but I know historically many, many, many people have named their daughters Mary. She is really the most important woman who has ever lived and ever will live. It is nearly unanimous that her parents' names, Joachim, was understood to mean the Lord's restoration, or may the Lord raise up, whereas Anna's name means grace. Anna's name means grace. Their names are indicative of their characteristics and qualities. But the name Miriam has been translated in many ways. Mary is a form of Miriam. Uh, Lordless, hope, myrrh of the seas, star of the seas, illuminated, beloved one, lady, lady of the sea, drop of the sea, exalted, Highness, Excellency, Lady. One who surpasses or one who dominates. According to St. John of Damascus, he preferred the meaning Lady. And we find this so often, we refer to her as Our Lady, the Mother of God. Mona Lisa, by the way, a famous painting, not of, not of the mother of God, but Mona is another word for lady. According to St. John of Damascus, he writes, Accordingly, it was grace, for this is the interpretation of Anna, that bore the lady and mistress. For that is the meaning of the name Mary, for she became truly the mistress of all creation since she was vouchsafed to be the mother of the Creator. Now, as I mentioned in the beginning, as I was talking about Joachim and Anna, and how we celebrate their feast tomorrow, the indignity of our first parents is purged through thee. The common salvation and glory of all generations is the appellation given by St. John Damascus to her, who bore our Creator in God. St. Germanus, Patriarch of Constantinople, chants, <clears throat> as foretold by the angel, today thou hast come forth, O Virgin, the all-holy offspring of righteous Joachim and Anna. Thou dost destroy the curse and give us blessing in its place. St. <clears throat> Romanus the Melodist chants, and this was in the 5th century, O mystery brought about on earth, after the birth, Anna prayed to our God and Maker, who knows all things in advance. Quote, Thou hast heard me, O Lord, as thou hast heard Hannah, who was accused before Eli of being drunk. She promised Samuel after his birth to the Lord to become a priest. Just as formerly thou hast given me too a gift, the barren woman gives birth to the mother of God and the nurse of our life. So we see in, in Mary, in her birth, the fulfillment of several types in the Old Testament of miraculous births of children to whose parents were way past the years of being able to bear children.
St. Andrew of Crete adds these words to Anna's lips. Quote, Thou hast granted me today the fruit of the promise, her that among all generations and women was foreordained to be thy pure and undefiled mother. And in the Kentuckian of this feast, St. Romanus declares that Adam and Eve are now set free from the corruption of death. Thus, St. Andrew continues speaking of Anna's exaltation. Now Anna makes glad and cries aloud, exulting, saying, Though barren, I have given birth to the mother of God, through whom the condemnation of Eve has been remitted and all her pains in travail. It's very interesting that in this feast of the birth of Mary, the hymnographers are already proclaiming the undoing of the curse. And this is very common. We see this in so many of the feasts, hymnology, that all of salvation becomes packed into each feast, especially the, the feasts of the Mother of God or the feasts of the Lord. All of salvation is brought together into this feast. And we see that the providence of God is so at work in this, the, the birth of Mary, and even in her conception nine months ago. Salvation is, is like it's, it's, it's uh, a snowball rolling down the hill. It's, it's, it's unstoppable. And that God's providence is, is set in motion through these historic events. But the amazing thing is that with God's providence so clearly all-powerful, and yet the fulfillment of everything he wants to do hinges on human beings. In this case, two very old, devout Jews who are coming to the end of their life, really. And way past the years, they were in the late 70s, way past the years, and they should have been able to bear children. But the salvation of the whole world is hinging on these, this elderly couple being able to conceive. And then having this one special little girl, Mary. And then the salvation of the world depends on her. This little baby, who, who at three years old will be dedicated to God in the temple and live in the temple. And then later around the age of 15, would through a great miracle, the, the virgin birth, the virgin conception, be the mother of Jesus Christ. Mary is born of a barren mother, thus renewing our nature that has grown barren. Through her, cruel hell has been trampled underfoot, and Eve, with all her line, is established secure in life. So the hymnographers are saying this even before the birth of Christ and and all that would follow. Set free from the reproach of childlessness, the hymnographer goes on to say, The barren woman gives suck to her child Mary, and Joachim rejoices at this birth, saying, A rod is born unto me, and from it the flower that is Christ shall blossom from the root of David. 
Marvelous in truth is this wonder. For from her in a manner past understanding will be born the maker of all, who in his goodness shall purge all the indignity of our first parents. She is also referred to as a lily among thorns. Quote, as a lily among thorns, so is my companion among daughters. St. Joseph, the hymnographer, writes that the spiritual spouse found her alone, a lily among thorns and a flower of the valleys. So now we come to the birthplace. Where was Mary born? And we, most of what we know about Mary in regards to this come from the apocryphal accounts, of the, uh, especially the Evangelium of St. James. Some of the accounts claim that the house of Joachim was located near the Sheep Gate in Jerusalem. This latter point is confirmed by St. Sophronius and further certified by St. John of Damascus. Thus, her Jerusalem home, it may be that she also had a home near Jerusalem. Some apocryphal accounts speak of Nazareth as the home of her parents. Thus, her Jerusalem home might have been very convenient to the temple. We read in the latters the, the, uh, from um, St. Uh, John of Damascus in his sermon on the birth of Theotokos. Mother of God was born to us in the holy sheep gate. Rejoice, O sheep gate, the most holy temple of God's mother. Rejoice, O sheep gate, the wall of Joachim's sheep. Of course, we know that Joachim was a sheep herder, a very prosperous one at that. And in fact, when we were talking about the, the conception of Mary, we remember that when he came down from the mountain, he brought a bunch of sheep with him to be slaughtered and to be uh, celebrated in a feast, which he gave in thanksgiving for their being able to conceive. <clears throat> in icons depicting the virgin being caressed by her parents, it was intended to show the infant before the incident of her first steps. She is usually shown inclining towards her mother for the parental kiss, though in the mosaic at Kariya Jami, the child is about to be kissed by Joachim while she places her hand on the face of her mother. A very beautiful icon in one of the ancient churches of the, of the Orthodox Church that show <clears throat> Joachim and Anna huddled over the little infant Mary and Mary is being kissed by Joachim and Mary is placing her hand on the face of Anna. So I think I will conclude today's story with this reference to the birthplace of Mary and next week we will continue with what we know about her infancy and her time up to the time that she uh, was taken to the temple at the age of three. Today we continue our study of our patron saint, St. John Maximovich, Archbishop of Shanghai and San Francisco.
Today we hear a testimony from Archpriest Stefan Pavlinko. Three stories about St. John, at least three, that I think you will find very inspiring. Many people have heard the story of how, on being informed that he had been chosen to be bishop, Ladika John was convinced that there had been some mistake. On his way to the Synod meeting to which he had been summoned, he met up with an acquaintance, I think it was on a a cable car, and um, told her that an unfortunate mistake had been made, that some priest, John, had been chosen to be bishop and they had invited him instead. On his way back, he met with the same acquaintance and told her that it was even worse than he had supposed that in fact it was he who had been chosen to be bishop. That acquaintance was my mother, the deceased novice Maria Dmitrievna Shatolova. My mother was a childhood friend of the future Archbishop John. In other words, the priest who's writing this, his mother was a a childhood friend of, of St. John. She knew him when he was a student in Belgrade and later when he was a monk. She had corresponded with him when he left for China, but for various reasons this correspondence was interrupted. When I was nine or ten years old, there was a sobor of bishops. A sobor is a big meeting council of the bishops of the Russian church abroad, and the archbishops were to serve in St. Vladimir's church in the small town of Jackson, New Jersey. And they lived in, we lived in Vineland, some 70 miles distance. My mother sent me to this celebration together with our rector, our parish priest, expressly to receive a blessing from Vladika John. Since my mother had, had not corresponded with him for many years, he did not know about our family. Quote, how will I know which of the hierarchs is Archbishop John, I asked. He was being sent by his mother to go to this church service and get a blessing from Archbishop John. Huh? Yeah, he was Peter's age. So he asked, "With with her unique humor, my mother replied that the one who looked the least like an archbishop would be Vladika John. She also said that he was a bit hunched over and sometimes wore boots without socks. On arriving at the church without seeing or speaking to anyone, I went straightway into the altar in order to serve. Suddenly, Vladika John came up to me and led me out of the altar. Now, why did he lead him out of the altar, Jacob? Why did he lead this little boy out of the altar? Because he did, Bishop John didn't make small talk in the altar. He didn't chit-chat in the altar. So he led him out of the altar, and then he greeted him with a big smile and said, Hello, Stiopa. How is your mother, Marika? How are your brother and sister? Then, with a smile and sparkling eyes, he looked at me intensely and asked, How did you recognize me? 
The little boy was embarrassed remembering her mother, the mother's description and shyly muttered something. Only many years later, when I was studying at Holy Trinity Seminary and learning about the gift of clairvoyance, what is clairvoyance? Victoria, what is clairvoyance? Right. St. John knew the thoughts of people. He knew about things that were far away. He knew this, he had this gift because he had the mind of Christ. He was so in communion with Christ that he, could, he knew the thoughts of Christ. He had the mind of Christ. So once when I learned about the gift of, gift of clairvoyance, that I understand how amazing it was that not that I had recognized him, but that he had recognized me knew me by name. He had never met this family except for the, the mother. He knew him by name and knew who he was and knew about his family. Here is another interesting episode. My brother Paul, although not in the military, lived for several years in Vietnam during the war where he searched for wounded or orphaned children and found them places in orphanages and hospitals. There he met a Vietnamese woman, Kim Un his future wife, who worked with him, helping these unfortunate children. Now, wouldn't that be a romantic way to meet your spouse? He was, he was in Vietnam. Have you heard of the Vietnam War? He was in Vietnam, and this man was going around finding orphans and widows and helping them. And he met this Vietnamese woman and she began to work with him, helping him, helping these orphans. And that's how they met and that's how they fell in love and eventually got married. Isn't that a beautiful way for people to meet? Anyway, my brother told her about the Orthodox faith, about Saint Seraphim of Sarov and other saints. During difficult times in her life, an old man, like an elder, appeared to her in her dreams, showing her what to do and comforting her through difficult circumstances. So once I sent a, my brother a cassette of monastic singing and some religious books and magazines. On receiving the package, my brother showed Kim the literature and was amazed when she pointed to the cover of one of the magazines. Who do you think she saw on the cover? She said, that is the old man who appears in my dreams and comforts me. It was the well-known photograph of Vladika John walking in the cemetery of Nouveau de Vivio convent in Spring Valley. Later, Kim was baptized in the Orthodox Church, taking the name Kira. A third episode I wish to relate is the following. In connection with preparations for the celebration of 1,000 years of the baptism of Russia, the lecturer Vadim Shkeglov came to a conference in our diocese. His wife, Zoya, is an icon painter. When she was still living in Russia and working as an icon restorer, she noticed one day that a sweet fragrance was emanating from an icon of the Mother of God, 
sitting on the shelf in her workshop. It was a Tikdin icon. After the Sheglovs moved to America, Zoya had a dream in which a young monk, monk walking through a cemetery directed her to paint three icons of the Mother of God. He gave the names of all three, but Zoya remembered only one, the Tikvin, and she painted this icon. When her husband, Vadim, came to our conference, we gave him accommodations in our church in Burlingame. In consultation with his, vi- with his wife, Vadim gave this Tikvin icon to our church as a gesture of thanks. When Zoya came later to San Francisco to the Millennium celebration, she saw in the sepulcher the photograph in which Vladika John was walking to the cemetery at Novo Divyevo, she was stunned. This is the one who appeared in a dream and told me to paint the icons of the Mother of God. Who is he? When told that it was Vladika John, she became confused because in her dream, the monk called himself what? Michael. That was his name before he became the bishop. Then she learned that Vladika's, or his, his secular name, then she learned that Vladika's secular name was Michael. The novice to whom she recounted these things told her that the Mother of God icon in his cell was the Tikvin icon. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Holy Saint John, pray for us. Wisdom. Blessed is the existing Christ our God, always, now, and ever, and unto the ages of ages. Amen.